Yo, Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s here to inform you that we are back with 30 more songs because the 90s were super long and had a ton of rad music. Please join us every Wednesday for more 60 Songs That Explain the 90s only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Vital Farms keeping it bull free. We always wanted our kids as they were growing up to have stuff that came from the right places. Vital Farms is perfect for this. Here's how good Vital Farms is. You can go to vitalfarms.com slash farm. And you can get a 360-degree peek at the actual farm where your eggs came from. Uh, it's a certified bee corporation. They are devoted to improving the lives of people, animals, and the planet through food. Great taste. You can do fried, poached, scrambled. Vital Farms bet you can taste the difference. Food simply tastes better when you know where it came from. Shop the farm that's a certified bee corporation and gives their hens the lifestyle they deserve. Vital Farms. Look for the black Vital Farms carton in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. The Rewatchables is brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find the big picture with Sean Fennessy. You can find the watch with Chris Ryan. You're still cranking that out, right, Chris? Every week, like clockwork. And you can find me and Chris on the Prestige TV podcast talking about winning time which is a batshit crazy show. We did that this week. You can find Fantasy on there as well, breaking down every episode of Barry, which is also kind of a batshit crazy show at this point of the uh, Barry experience. It's going nuts now, yeah. Yeah. Barry was a super normal show to begin with. <laughs> it, was, it was so stable there for the first year. Uh, coming up next, get away from me, you lazy-eyed psycho! <laughs> Austin Powers, next. In his time, he was the coolest swinger alive. A lot's changed since 1967. Spring on the sexy stage, man! We're called flight attendants now. Unfortunately, this is not his time. Secret Mike Myers. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Austin Powers. International Man of Mystery. Rated PG-13. All right, Austin Powers, a movie I did not see in the theater, 1997. Bill, you know what? You forgot to do a pre-roll here. Uh, can I just do it real quick? What is it? This episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Swedish-made penis enlarger what? pumps. <laughs> Use code FENTASY for 20% off at checkout. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for sneaking that in, Chris. Uh, yeah, code FENTASY. Uh, I did not see this movie in the theater, guys. It Why? became a thing yeah. over the course of the summer. It was the rare slow sleeper. And I remember um, this was during my bartending slash trying to start uh, my own internet column era. And a waitress that I absolutely loved in the whole restaurant scene was like, Austin Powers is the funniest movie I've seen in the last couple of years. And she's like, we should go see it. And I was like, I, the Mike Myers thing? Like, what the fuck happened to Mike Myers? Where, where's he been? He's been gone from... So, so needless to say, I didn't see it in the theater. And somehow in the blockbuster 
renting the movie um, cable era, it became a belated thing. It only made $67 million, which is decent, but it was like a slow growth, old school built up. And then by the time the sequel came around, it was a monster. The sequel made five times as much money as the first movie did. Chris, what took so long? Why was this a slow burn? Well, there's a couple of different theories about the box office performance of this movie. One is that like just the style of comedy is a really acquired taste. Now, once you acquire it, it's really hard to shake it. And this guy, like this character becomes so iconic. But because it's so mannered and so unique and all the reference points are pretty like after you get past James Bond, like relatively obscure for like casual American viewers. So I think that might have had something to do with it. The Diana death around the time of its release might have had something to do with it. I think that there was some you know, speculation that like maybe people didn't want like Americans teasing British people around that time. But ultimately, like this is not that uncommon of a phenomenon for the 90s where a movie kind of has like a modest box office is in theaters for a couple months. And then the secondary market, like the video market really gave movies another light chance at life. Can this happen anymore, Sean? Or is this this is just an era that's gone? I think so. But I think it's probably more likely to happen with TV shows. You know, like one of the other things that makes this movie resonate over a longer period of time is I think it it becomes like a Halloween costume movie. It becomes a mm-hmm. dorm room movie. It becomes a movie that you quote to your family at the dinner table. Yeah, yeah, it's a catchphrase movie. And so it's so idiosyncratic and so fun to like participate and to recreate that it's not surprising that it like took a little bit longer to bleed over. But you're right. It, like it did take a few years there for Mike Myers to make like a mini comeback, you know, after leaving SNL and you know, the Wayne's World phenomenon. And there was that short little period of time where he wasn't doing anything. He's so he's so interesting to me. I'm fascinated by his I, career. We're going to dive into him big time. I don't really know what his expectation in this movie was, but I guarantee it wasn't, we're going to make three of these and the last two are going to make 600 million plus combined and I'm going to get a huge piece of it and I'm going to be generationally wealthy from the third one. I don't think that was in the cards. I think he wanted to make a really goofy, fun parody of these Bond movies that he loved. And I don't even know if he necessarily cared if anyone would see it. This is a New Line movie. New Line's at a really interesting point, which we could probably talk about later. But um, I don't think anybody could have gone into this and thought this is going to be huge. On the other hand, they did release it, you know, the beginning of May, which was traditionally when theater, when uh, the studio started to think like, beginning hey, of maybe this could be season. something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I was there the whole time for this and you could feel it catching on. You could feel anecdotally people starting to quote it. Um, Halloween that year, as Sean mentioned, that was when I really felt it because there was multiple people dressed up as, you know, in some sort of Austin power service. It was like, Oh my God, this movie's. And then when it hit the rewatchable, whatever it went on, I had the illegal box at that point. So it was on constantly. And then it ends up on, you know, HBO and it does that whole tour. And it was just like, you could just dive into any point of this movie and have a good time with it. And then it was off. Then it was done. It was a VHS smash too. It's one of the last VHS classics. Yeah. Cause like 98, 99 yep. is when DVD starts to come in, but I, I definitely had this on VHS. I remember this DVD being like in every single person's house in Boston when I was still living there. And even if it wasn't necessarily like a movie person or a comedy person, it just seemed like Austin Powers was one of three DVDs people had. I don't remember if it was the first one or the second one. I think it might have been the second one, but the second one had some deleted scenes and blooper stuff and things There's like that. There's a couple that. in the in this one. There's like a Christian Slater scene that didn't make it. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's just that whole era, but the the Mike Myers piece of this. 
so we have this comedy. It's like this new generation of comedy guys. And it starts around 94 where you have Jim Carrey, Sandler, um, Chris Farley, Ben Stiller's starting to get in there. And then Myers. And this is like the next generation to the Belushi, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, like that whole generation, Eddie Murphy. And this is like the new wave of guys coming in. I almost wonder if this was the last time you could just have a star carry a comedy and would have a chance to at least make its money back, but had the chance to make $300 million. Like that era is now gone. I don't know if we could have that again, right? I think Will Ferrell did it. I think Will Ferrell is probably the last person who could be counted on to do that. But Mike Myers might be the second to last. Um, Mike, but that's Will- in that 2000 the 2000s where that becomes like this Apatow era where it's almost like the R-rated comedy became a bigger thing, I think, than the actual stars in it. It was like, if you said from the producers of Superbad, that was in and of itself the star of the movie, right? Yeah. This is just like, hey, Chris Farley has a new movie. Are you going to go see it? I remember seeing So I Married an Axe Murder in the theater in 93 because Mike Myers was there. I knew nothing about it. It's like, oh, it's a Mike Myers movie. Um, Now, I don't, in 2022, do we have movies like this? No. This guy's in it. I'm going to see it. No, it's all. It's. I think it's mostly on TV. I mean, like it's sketch stuff, right? Like, or it's, or it's like, it's all like kind of relegated to television now. I don't think we have like blockbuster comics anymore. Like Key right? and Peele made that Keanu movie that I actually liked, but it was a Key and Peele making Keanu. I feel like in the mid '90s that would have been a much more important, bigger deal that Key and Peele made a movie. But now it's. I don't think comedies feel the same way. Myers has this really weird. I, I honestly, one of the weirdest 20 year stretches, I think of any comic actor, dramatic actor, whatever, where he's on SNL, he immediately becomes a thing on SNL. He has sprockets. He has the Wayne's world sketches. There's just something so distinct. It feels like he's on the show, but he's almost like over on the corner on his own show that he just kind of pops in and out of, um, the sprockets thing was like one of my favorite things they've ever done on that show. Every single time we thought, we just thought that was like the height of comedy. Uh, Wayne's World, they turned into a movie. That shouldn't work. It does. It's fucking awesome. We love the Wayne's World movie. They make a sequel. And then he has So I Married an Axe Murder in 1993. Then he kind of stays on SNL maybe about a year and a half too long, where he's like the, he's basically Wooderson-ing it. it. It's like, dude, you graduated. You can go now. And then he just disappears. And he leaves SNL in January 1995. Austin Powers doesn't come out. May 1997, he's just gone for two and a half years. Then he has Austin Powers in 97. He plays Steve Riddell, Rebel in in 54. Oh, yeah. Tries to go like super weird dramatic in a movie that's really flawed and now has to become a cult thing. Austin Powers 99, monster. Austin Powers sequel 2002, monster. Shrek 2001, monster. Cat in the Hat, 2003. Eh. Shrek sequel. Eh. Four years. The Love Girl, 2008. Ugh. And it's just over. This guy was an A++++ lister and had these three movies, not counting Shrek, that made a kajillion dollars. Chris, what happened? So do you guys just think that this is a... He is basically a method actor for the characters that he creates. It takes a while for him to refine these things. And that there's just, only, there's like a finite amount of these sort of parts that he was able to come up with or that hit. 
Because there's a different path that he could have taken from Axe Murderer where he's basically Tom Hanks, right? Like that there is basically like a, a much more traditional, not maybe not constantly like a romantic lead, but like a much more traditional comic actor who's able to do other parts in movies like the way he does in Axe Murderer, but isn't like I am immersing myself in the Austin Powers character so much so that there are people who are only going to know me as the character I play, not as like the movie star playing a part. And I think I, I wonder whether or not that's a little bit complicated. Although I guess you could look at Carrie as like the, the closest, you know, his closest competition. And Carrie did enough Truman Show type roles that I think he had a career outside of like the wildly immersive comic parts that he played. Do you know what I mean? I have a theory on this, but I want Sean's take. Well, they're very they're really different. Jim Carrey was always playing outlandish characters who were essentially Jim Carrey, who were essentially the Jim Carrey persona. Mike Myers, you know, his heroes are Peter Sellers and Alec Guinness and Monty Python. And when he comes on to SNL in the early 90s, he came on late. He came on by himself in the middle of a season, which was like a very notable thing that he just arrived on the show after a cast had been together for a few years fully formed with these characters. He came yeah. on with Wayne, with Dieter, with Philip, with all of his great characters. And that like defines him for the rest of his career. He only thrives when he is in makeup, when he's doing an accent, when he is like transforming into this other person. And even after he was not uber famous at the center of culture, when he's in Inglorious Bastards, when he shows up in um, Bohemian Rhapsody, he's wearing a wig, doing an accent, playing a character, disappearing. He doesn't like being Mike Myers. He could never have been Tom Hanks because he doesn't want to be that that regular person. But like, I just meant that because Axe Murderer has that kind of charm to it. It's crazy to think that his, probably his most notable non-character moment as a celebrity is Kanye. Yes. Mm. It's true. What's funny is the Kanye thing happened, what, 10, 12 years after he Myers was in one of the funniest SNL sketches from a bad season when Heather Locklear hosted. And they're doing it's an infomercial for this. I forget what the product was, but then she starts saying the most inappropriate stuff possible during the commercial. And he's <laughs> doesn't know how to react. And he's like having a stroke on camera and being like, no, no. And it was basically the Kanye thing reenacted this actual SNL sketch. I, I think Axe Murder is a really important piece to the Myers conversation. He's really likable, that movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Cause I, I look, I, I'm just prone to like every movie from 92 and 93. I'm not going to apologize from it. I think I saw every movie those two years. Actually, for about five years there. But, Don't uh, apologize. It's a Gen X you, classic. It's a great yeah, movie. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a rom-com, but it's like laugh out loud funny. The scene, Good soundtrack. Yeah. Great soundtrack. The scene in the uh, meat the meat shop when they're just met the montage of him just doing weird shit. Um, the Alcatraz thing, I think is still one of the funniest scenes of the nineties. Phil Hartman in prison parlance, his bitch. And those guys are like, what the fuck's going on with this guy? Um, I just feel like he could have made eight of those, but he didn't want to, to Chris's point. It was that that was an interesting to him. But part of me wonders, did Ben Stiller market correct him? Or did Mike Myers allow himself to be market corrected? Because he easily just could have been the lead in There's Something About Mary. He easily could have been, what's that movie that I like with Jennifer Aniston and Philip Seymour Hoffman? Along Came Polly. He easily could have been the guy in Along Came Polly. But he didn't want to. He just wanted to put wigs on. I think it's a bummer. I wish we could redo his career and have a couple of weird choices in there. 
I get the impression he's pretty uncomfortable with fame and that yeah. he, <clears throat> he doesn't like being out in the spotlight necessarily. And that's part of the reason why he likes to, you know, slide into these these figures. But he doesn't have a huge public profile. You know, we all we know about him is he's nice Canadian guy. Likes the Maple Leafs. Yeah. yeah, loves hockey. His parents are from England. He's kind of kind of an Anglophile. We don't know a lot about him. And that seems very purposeful. And that's part of the reason maybe why he didn't want to be like the everyman movie star. You know, there's like, that's a very distinct type that he's avoided. We might have to do So I Married an Axe Murderer just because I feel like that's the only way Craig's going to want to watch that one. Boy, <laughs> heed, head. Craig, have now! you ever seen So I Married an Axe Murderer? No. Okay. Oh man, Craig, it's really good. Uh, Charles, Charles Grodin and Anthony LaPaglia in that movie. It's like my favorite thing ever. Craig, if you don't enjoy So I Married an Axe Murder, I would be absolutely stunned, shocked, and hurt. Would be the three things. And it, it's a very specific 1993, the soundtrack. The, it just makes you feel like you're in that moment. We're really yeah. selling it. Craig's just like, 1993 music? Oh, but that's the thing. Like, he's, he does Cat in the Hat and Love Guru. He just didn't want to be himself. So that th he's not himself other... in Inglorious Bastards, and that's incredible. But like he's playing Rod Taylor, you know yeah, what I mean? He yeah. just comes out and does like a note perfect World War II British officer, and that's like probably the most notable performance he's given in the last five. By 10 the way, years. he's good in Fifty Four. Yeah, he's yeah. like super creepy and weird, and I, it just makes you uncomfortable every minute he's on the screen. Well, the other piece with Mike Myers. Pretty weird guy. Not sure he's a beloved guy. And uh, we'll take a break and then we'll cover that piece. This episode is supported by State Farm. Think about your first reaction after you have an accident. What do you do? You scream, oh no, or man, oh, why did this happen? On the flip side, let's say you buy a new car or you lease a new car. Get in there and it smells great and you're like, man, this is awesome. But... Just remember, really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring comes with a lot of chores because, you know, spring cleaning. One thing you can clean up right away, your phone bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. They have unlimited talk, text, data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. $15 a month. That's like you can subscribe to two movie channels for that. I mean, what a great deal. Also, super easy to switch plans. Everyone gets so intimidated by, oh, my God, I don't know if I should switch my plan. It's not that hard. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash rewatch. That's us. That's mintmobile.com slash rewatch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for a first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, so there's a lot of Mike Myers stuff. I think one of the... This, this 92 to 98 stretch where he does Wayne's World 1 and the director just trashed him, Penelope Spears, for the next like five years. Just trashed him with how difficult and awful he was to work with. Does both Wayne's Worlds with Dana Carvey, but then makes this Austin Powers where Dr. Evil, 
who we'll get to in detail, is a Lorne Michaels impersonation. And it's a Lorne Michaels impersonation that Dana Carvey was famous for behind the scenes at SNL of his impersonation, his impersonation of, uh, of Lorne Michaels. And Myers just takes it and makes him Dr. Evil. And this is a pretty legendary behind the scenes Saturday Night Live story where it caused this huge rift with these guys that didn't really get along with each other anyway. And on top of it, everybody loved Carvey. So I think that was part of the reputation with Myers and then just in general being pretty difficult. I remember being vaguely aware of this stuff from the magazines and the uh, the movie culture from that time. Do you remember this stuff, Chris, as a theme? I, I don't remember the Carvey stuff. I remember, I mean, I re- realized it when I was reading about Austin Powers, but I remember the P- Penelope Sphere stuff because it was pretty uncommon for somebody to just like be pretty publicly like ripping on the movie star of, of their biggest movie. And they obviously, I think, have like since buried the hatchet to some extent. But it was it was notable back then. But also, like, I feel like people used to let it rip a little bit more in the '90s, where it would be like sit down with movie line, and they'd just be like, "Yeah, this is what it was like making this movie." Right. That guy sucked. This person I didn't get sucked. along with Michael Bean. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Sha? Uh, yeah, I I think you're right. I I just listened to Myers on on Dana Carvey's podcast, and I was listening to it very specifically to hear what their interactions were like. Because they have this kind of legendary, incredible symbiosis, but also this like Cold War between them, you know, when they were the two best guys, maybe along with Phil Hartman of that generation. And they were are bound together forever because of Wayne's world. But like, it felt like the power shifted in real time. You know, it's like Carvey was the chosen one. He was George Bush on TV every week. He was Church and then, Lady, yeah. And Church Lady, and he was he had all the characters. And then all of a sudden, the Wayne's World movie worked. And then Mike Myers went up a level. And Carvey never really became a movie star. And Mike Myers becomes this mega, mega, mega comedy star, like iconic generational comedy star. And I guess they're good now. But even in that conversation, listening to them, I was like, what's going on under the surface here? You know, and Myers is a perfectionist, right? That's the thing. He's like... He's somebody who will only won't stop until he feels he got it right. And I think that's annoying for people to work with sometimes. Well, I'm going to spoil a casting. What if he wanted Jim Carrey to play Dr. Evil and Jim Carrey couldn't do it because he wasn't done with Liar, Liar yet. And then Myers decided he was going to play it himself. And I look, I don't know this for sure, but I would bet money on this that Carvey was probably like, I'm right here. <laughs> I'm literally right here and this is my impersonation. And this is my like, impersonation. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just have me play Dr. Evil? And as good as Myers is as Dr. Evil, I think Carvey would have been just as good in his own ways and it actually would have helped the movie a little bit because in the you know, this is a what's age the worst, but in the late 90s they didn't really have the camera chicanery. If you had two guys in the same scene, you could always feel that they're not in the same scene back then. Well, they had like one camera and they needed it for Jurassic Park. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like, oh yeah, that one's busy. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I think he probably would have ultimately helped this movie and I'm sure he's pissed off about it, especially when the second one made 300 and X million dollars. Do you think it's, I, I, I don't know. I like it as like the Mike Myers show. Obviously like the whole series becomes Mike Myers playing more and more and more characters and that's what it evolves into. And it probably wouldn't have been as successful. I think if it was Carvey, it might've been maybe funnier because Carvey is so funny, but the gimmick of Myers versus Myers was a, such a huge part of the conversation yeah, right. around it. You that's know, a good point. It also it would have been awesome though if uh, Carvey had gotten Doctor Evil and then pulled like a Duval Godfather three move where he, <laughs> he refuses to do Gold Member 
<laughs> right. <laughs> and they have to write they have to write Doctor Evil out <laughs> and bring in <laughs> George Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> There's. <laughs> God, that really happened. It's That's like you're so saying that like a crazy. joke, and it's like, oh my God, that actually did happen. It really was on the happen. other day, and I was just like, I can't believe we had George Robert Hamilton. Duvall in this movie, and he was just like, fuck you, Francis. God, that that should have been the offer. The, yeah. the offer should have been about Godfather oh. 3. Yeah, I look, Carvey wouldn't have, there's so many funny Dr. Evil Mike Myers pieces to this, where he's like, how about no? <laughs> just... That's just like unique to Myers. I think Carvey would have brought some stuff to the table too, but I'm when sure guys, that really pissed him off. When you hear anecdotes about like comedian beef over stuff like this, like yeah. when you take a step back and it's like two grown men arguing about the origins of a Lorne Michaels impersonation and yeah. how it manifested in Dr. Evil, it is pretty funny. You know what I mean? Like, like I understand joke stealing is very serious. And I, I I get it, but like it's still pretty like okay, man. Like I I guess like I can totally understand why Dana Carvey was like fuck, like that definitely. I do the pinky thing. I do that. Like that's my bit. But uh, right. it is pretty. It's pretty funny when you just kind of like get a little per- perspective on this. <laughs> well, I wonder I'm what sure. Lauren Michaels says. Yeah, he's never really talked about it that much. Well, then then there's the whole thing that he does this Doctor Evil character that's a Lauren Michaels impersonation, but. The insinuation is that Lorne Michaels is evil, right? <laughs> right. Takes this impersonation and makes it for the most evil guy in the universe. There was some other weird, weird stuff with him where, so Austin Powers hits and he gets this $40 million deal to star in two universal films. And the first one was Sprocket, Sprockets. And he'd written the script. Before they start making the movie, he decides he doesn't like the script. He backs out of the deal. And gets sued by Universal Pictures um, for almost four million bucks for backing out, and it turns into this whole lawsuit that was really covered by Hollywood Reporter and all these different places. Yeah, and uh, Meyer said, "I didn't want to make the, I didn't want another contract. I didn't want to cheat moviegoers with an unacceptable script." But he was the one writing the script. I think Ron Howard was attached to it at some point. It's a pretty fun internet deep dive if you want to read about it. But I don't think that was helping the Myers thing either. Then there was another one where he was going to be the Pink Panther and Ivan Reitman was involved and they were going to um, kind of reinvent the Peter Sellers Pink Panther. Reitman said, we want something new and fresh. Mike has to find a whole new character for Cousseau that's not Peter Sellers but also is in Austin Powers. Dropped out of that March 2002. So I think he did get the reputation as this guy's a pain in the ass, which in Hollywood is pretty hard because there's a lot of pain in the asses (laughs) when you get that, especially for comedy. And it's also notable that the other guys from his generation, you know, you have the whole Apatow world, that's all rising. You have the people from the SNL universe and he's not really in any of that stuff either. So it feels like something was going on here, Chris, beyond just uh, normal. He's a little difficult. Yeah, I mean, I think that, if you look at these parts, they're not the like creation of somebody who's like, this is just a toss off. Like, what if I did a, a guy who like hit a golf ball really hard? Like, they're pretty like, that's it. Obsessive <clears throat> creations, you know? That's, and I, I, I don't think you can really like half ass Austin Powers, even though when you watch it, you're like, oh man, like this is 
and there's an element to it that's like a very long SNL sketch, but like he has thought through every single nuance and mannerism of this character instead of it being like, what if I was just like running into this factory and then I fell into a table? Like, not that there's, I love Chris Farley, but like this is, this is a different kind of level of creation. That, that's, that's exactly the, the point I was going to make. I, I wrote about Myers like four or five years ago for The Ringer and I, I, pointed out something similar to what you said earlier, Bill, which is that to me in this period, like 95 through 2000, it's Jim Carrey, it's Adam Sandler, and it's Mike Myers. Those are like, that's like the triumvirate of comedy movie stars, movie megastars. And basically that everything that Sandler does and everything that Jim Carrey does, and then everything that happens in the Aptow kind of extended universe in the 10 years that follow that, all feel like plot is kind of incidental there's like high concept, but you can feel people improvising in real time. Everything is really baggy. Even Jim Carrey, like you can feel him doing a hundred takes of a hundred different versions of the same joke. Everything Mike Myers does, even though it's really silly, feels very precise. Everything is very manicured and specific. And that's probably part of the reason why he has this reputation of being difficult is because he's like, it's my way. It's my vision. It's my character. It's my idea. And, you know, that's partially why he's been so successful, right? But I guess it's it trailed him, too, professionally. What's interesting is there's pieces of the Apatow what ended up working with those movies in the 2000s where they did improv and ad-lib some stuff, but it was always based on the situation and all of the stuff he'd already fanatically figured out. I wonder if this version of Mike Myers, the early mid nineties, Mike Myers is in Hollywood right now in 2022. I think he's actually more likely to have a show like Barry. Yeah. Like a comedy drama. That's a little dark and maybe he's playing multiple people on it, but I could see him going way more in that direction than just trying to do an Well, and I think haters level of like character work is probably comparable at least to Myers, but it would be like, what if hater made a two hour film about like, Vincent Stefan, you know what I mean? But like the Stefan character was like, it actually like imagined every single part. It was a whole Stefan universe. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. I think the difference between those two guys is Hayter is like a beloved cast member. People were always pulling himself in because he was just, he. his whole goal was just to sell everybody else. He could do these characters, but he also loved the camaraderie of it. Whereas Myers seemed pretty strange. Like even on SNL, all the stuff he did on that show is kind of like, his own, you just kind of left the SNL and entered the Mike Myers universe for six minutes. And then other people were allowed in it, but, you know, I, that's just kind of he reminds me more. He reminds me more, Bill, of the that 80s cast, the Billy, like the Crystal, Billy Crystal, Harry yeah. Shearer cast, and, yeah. you know, like, those guys who would create these little dioramas, you know, where it was like, enter my universe for a short period of time, and then we'll go to another universe, then another universe. But he was the only guy who was like that on, on SNL Yeah, Chris time. Guest is a good comparison here, because yeah. I think he was... Probably not that easy, too, at some points. He created the Austin Powers character based on this fall 1960s rock band called Ming-T that he started with Matthew Sweet and Susanna Hoffs. I thought this... I wasn't positive this was real, but apparently it was. They did that in the uh, early 90s, and they messed around. His dad was a huge fan of Bond and Sellers and the Beatles and Peter Cook, all those. He was like this Canadian guy who really identified with the English scene for whatever reason. Then there was another show called Adam Adamant Lives, which was a British TV series um, that stole some of the stuff about being in the swinging 60s London. So all these different pieces, plus the Bond influence, which I guess we could do this now as a what's age the worst. 
It's been a while since those Donald Pleasant's like Bond movies. And I wonder like for if you're under 35, do you get even one tenth Appar- of apparently the Bond not based on yeah. our producer's reaction to this <laughs> <Right>. movie? <laughs> yeah, producer Craig was not getting uh some of this stuff, but this was they make this movie, it's probably 30 years after. So it was still pretty fresh. Like I got all the jokes in 1997. I'm not sure you're getting them in 2022, right? I think it's a testament to great parody when you don't need to actually get all the parodic references. So, I mean, like, if you don't know that he's, his glasses are Michael Caine's glasses in Ipcris File, it doesn't matter. They're still cool. Like, they, they still work for the character, you know? Um, and yeah. I, I, I felt that way when I was a kid watching Monty Python with my dad. Like, he would be crying with laughter at certain references, like, or jokes in Monty Python. I would just be like, this seems really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but I, I, and I love it when John Cleese does the funny walk, but I didn't get like 98% of the jokes in, in Monty Python. I'm still catching up on James Bond, honestly. Like, Chris, I know at least like had, like, had Bond on in the house growing up. Like, well, I was like, yeah, it was like a big TBS marathon thing, was right. just to have the Bond movies on all the time. But my, my parents were not into Bond at all. Like, I don't remember that ever them seeing a Bond movie. So, like, when I saw Austin Powers, it's it's very possible that it's the first time I was exposed to like the Blofeld esque character. Like I just yeah. didn't have any of those references, and it was still funny because it, it was Mike Myers being funny. And so I think that's what Chris is saying is right on. It's like well, it's it transcends lot, the parody. A lot of people like they think of Bond as like quasi prestigious, you know. And it, it it I guess it is now. And there are some great great Bond films, but like they also had characters named Pussy Galore. Like a lot of vagina is not very far off from true. an actual Bond character so it's sort of funny to like watch like the version of of Bond that got rendered in Skyfall and even Daniel Craig has said like we had to like kind of go against what the what the Austin Powers yeah they was. made this he said this series made the uh, Bond series much more serious I wasn't a Bond guy I was never big in my house I saw I mostly knew the Roger Moore ones I didn't really know the Sean Connery ones didn't hurt my enjoyment of the Austin Powers movie Roger Ebert. Oh, by the way, this movie, $16.5 million budget, made $67 million. Um, the video was, it just crushed in video. It was one of the most successful videos of, um, of the 1990s. Roger Ebert, three stars. Quote, a funny movie that only gets funnier the more familiar you are with James, James Bond movies, all the Bond clones and countless other 1960s films. I'm surprised Roger liked it that much. He knows he's a big plot guy. You know why? Why? He make he makes reference to this sort of in his review, but there's there are overt references to Beyond the Valley of the Dolls in this movie, which yeah. oh which, yeah, which Roger Ebert co-wrote. Yeah. Okay, three stars. Categories: most rewatchable scene, the cryo facility where Gary Coleman and Vanilla Ice are in there. That's you. That's you in 2022, Bill. You're getting me, so baby. close. You're so close to that. Everything about that scene is a home run. The chest hair, the super long pee. I'm having difficulty controlling the volume of my voice. Like, just so stupid constantly. Very influential for my podcast style. <laughs> You've been cryogenically frozen for 30 years. Who are those people? The shouting is a temporary side effect of the unfreezing process. Yes, I'm having difficulty controlling the volume of my voice. <laughs> we get to meet Vanessa. We'll get to Elizabeth early in a second. We get the penis larger kit. One Swedish made penis enlarger pump. That's not mine. One credit card receipt 
for Swedish-made penis enlarger, signed by Austin Powers. I'm telling you, baby, that's not mine. One warranty card for Swedish-made penis enlarger pump, filled out by Austin Powers. I don't even know what this is. This sort of thing ain't my bag, baby. One book, <laughs> Swedish-made penis enlarger pumps, and me. This sort of thing is my bag, baby, by Austin Powers. It is a home run four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Next one. I have this written down as Mustafa is murdered in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very badly burned. <laughs> if somebody could open the retrieval hatch down here, I could get out. See, I designed this device myself. Oh, hi. Good. I'm glad you found me. Listen, I'm very badly burned, so if you could just... You shot me! Okay, moving on. You shot me right in the arm! Why did you- <laughs> I designed the room! So <laughs> if you could just- There's a hatch! You shot me! <laughs> in the arm! I love, I love that they brought him back for the sequel. Apparently he didn't die. <laughs> this is when we have bald Bigglesworth. We get, we get to meet Dr. Evil's crew of Lucky Charms and number two and- Everybody, and then he lays out uh, his random plan. This is also a phenomenal four to five minute sequence. Yeah. Really, really inspired stuff. The Will Ferrell just absolutely slays me. He he had like just joined SNL at this point. I feel oh, like yeah, it was, might have been his like first a year and a year. half. Yeah. And yeah. at the time, we were, I mean, I'm sure you remember this, Bill. When he hit the show, we were like, holy shit, this, yeah, guy, this guy's like mana from heaven. And so when he showed up in the movie, I was like, yes, this is amazing. Yeah. I think he was just about done with his second season. So he was. Still really popular with the SNL fans, but I wasn't mainstream. And it, I had the same reaction. It's like, oh my God, it's Will Ferrell. <laughs> this is a short one. The, uh, the evil overlapping scene. <laughs> right into Austin being naked as Vanessa eats a sausage, which is yeah. yet another, like, one thing with Mike Myers, like super silly, but was always able to pull it off. Like just the all-time dumb, silliest, I can't believe they went that lowbrow, but I can't stop laughing stuff. It's, like the, It's pushing the bit so far yeah. to the point of it not being funny and then it coming back around again. And I, I don't think I, you know, I'm sure I like on a instinctual level understood like comedy mechanics, but like when, when they do the Mustafa death scene and it's just like, okay, this is the scene's over now. Right. And then he just comes back again. You're just like, I can't believe this. How long are they going to yeah. do this for? And they just keep cutting to Bald Bigglesworth. <laughs> it's like, it really did make me feel like, oh, I sort of understand like the meta commentary on the on the humor aspects. I feel the same way. The evil overlapping thing should be a yeah. bigger meme thing on Twitter. I think want, I, I, should, should we get it going? I just feel like that should be something they always like, like think about how much mileage there's been from Michael Jordan. I took that personally, which is mm -hmm. in like 20% of the tweets these days. It's like the evil overlapping scene could work really well. It's Maybe really some concerns stuff. about uh, Robert Wagner there, you know? Oh, well, he's coming up on what stage the worst. <laughs> the group therapy scene. Yeah. Carrie Fisher. In the running for greatest four minutes of a comedy in the nineties. It's going to be my pick for most rewatchable. <laughs> if I know it's coming on, I'm just staying. Um, the Dr. Evil speech is like one of the funniest things that's happened in a movie in the nineties. So it's amazing. It's one of the best written things. I actually copy pasted it from IMDb just so I could read it. I mean, it's like 
We're, I think we should just play the whole speech, right? With a penchant for buggery. Yeah. yeah. My mother <laughs> was a 50-year-old <laughs> French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. Let's just play it. Very well. Where do I begin? My father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy, the sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. At the age of 12, I received my first scribe. At the age of 14, as a roastery named Vilma, ritualistically shaved my testicles. There really is nothing like a shorn scrotum. It's breathtaking. I suggest you try it. You know, we have to stop. The other thing I love is when Scott says, what if I want to open a petting zoo? And he's like, an evil petting zoo? <laughs> like, it's just... The Dr. Evil Scott dynamic is one of my favorites. Can't get enough of it. They really dial into it in the second episode even more. Or the second, uh, the second movie, but um, great stuff. Good to see Carrie Fisher as well. Yeah, always like a, a, a non-Leia Carrie Fisher is, is always fun. I have the dinner party scene where Scott Evil is like, "Why don't you just shoot him now? What are you waiting for?" <laughs> <laughs> Close the tank. Wait, aren't you even going to watch them? They could get away. No, no, no. I'm going to leave them alone and not actually witness them dying. I'm just going to assume it all went to plan. What? I have a gun in my room. You give me five seconds, I'll get it. I'll come back down here. Boom! I'll blow their brains out. Scott, you just don't get it, do you? You don't. I'll go to my room and get my gun. <laughs> the shushing scene, which is which is apparently improvised by those guys, the liquid hot magma, um, all that. And then I think the final scene's really funny when they're on their honeymoon and a uh, random job or a random task comes in and random task. they're doing all the psych gag stuff again and the whole thing. I I, I actually think it ends really well. What uh, Anything else I missed that you'd throw in there? Uh, I guess I would throw, I really liked the, um, the, whatchamacallit, the electric psychedelic pussycat swingers club. It's my happening and it freaks me out. And yeah. just a little bit of Mimi Rogers. And that's also the first, that ain't no woman. That's a man, man. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I like the, uh, the airplane too, where he tries to seduce Vanessa. And, oh yeah. And yeah. he's constantly Turbulence. like spinning around yeah. and, oh, I fell over again. <laughs> that, that whole part is great. Uh, do you, are, Bill, are you a big uh, Tom Arnold? Uh, we're we're going to get through good. this together. Yeah, that seems good. I like that you show that turd who's boss. Um, all right. So we all have the uh, we all have the group therapy scene. Right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, I, I'm pretty partial to Austin waking up and the long pee and the penis enlarger, but I, I like the group therapy scene a lot. Yeah, it's, those are tied for two. That's right, not we'll, mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's not my bag. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take one more break and then we'll do uh, what's age the best.
This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know what sounds good after a long day? Ice cream. I love ice cream. Right now is the perfect time to get some. Sonic has half-price shakes every night after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. Just think of it. All that creamy, soft serve, hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size. Listen, a lot of people like goofy shakes. I like vanilla shakes. You can throw 40 flavors at me. You know what I'm going to order? You know what I love the most? Vanilla shakes. It's perfect because me and my family, at least once a week, we still all get ice cream together when we're together. Grab Sonic Half Price Shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic Drive-Ins. All right, what's age the best? Special best quote section. I have... That's right, buddy. You show that turd who's boss. Only two things scare me. Nuclear war and carnies. Get away from <laughs> me, you lazy-eyed psycho. I can't believe Liberace is gay. Woman loved him. And I wish I was never artificially created in a lab. I think just could just throw those anywhere. There's a, This movie is very quotable. Just yeah. in general. There's a lot of good one-liners that I used the second one, the second movie I used for um, on my old website for a... Thing about how Pete Carroll needed to get fired. I vaguely remember way back when. Must have been 20 plus years ago. <laughs> it's tough. What's, what's age the best? Dr. Evil being Lorne Michaels is continues to be hilarious to me. I think of it every time they show him on the show. Every Dr. Evil scene is just lights out. Just love seeing him. When Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset, people die. The finger of the mouth, his introductions, how he looks, the suit, the way he moves when he tries to run, I just, <laughs> it's home run character. What a creation. I like that you pointed out, like, he's creating these characters from scratch. He's grabbing pieces of these different people. But this Dr. Evo is just uh, an all-timer. Um, Elizabeth Hurley. Great job. She's still aging wonderfully. I don't know if you've seen her recently. She's in her 50s. She's beautiful. I was always a big fan of her and Hugh Grant. And he was apparently very excited for her to do this movie. Wow. She was very famous from the Hugh Grant thing. This was really her only movie that, you know, where I think if you were like, name me five Elizabeth Hurley movies, people would just name this one. That's it. Bedazzled, I feel like, is the only other one. Who was in that one? Brendan Fraser. It's a remake, actually, of a Peter Cook movie. Um, uh, but I mean, did she make a movie with Dennis Leary? Uh, she might yeah. have. I think, didn't she date Dennis Leary? That's sick. She, the um, great thing about her is on the 50-foot screen, just lights out. Like, so know, beautiful. Just, every time she's in a scene, she's got the glasses in the beginning. She looks awesome. Love the idea he, of her being Mimi Rogers' daughter, too. Home run. I yeah. am. Well, I had her as well. Mimi Rogers is Mrs. Kensington. The rewatchables listeners know how we feel about Mimi. It's great to see her. I love the opening credits. Those are really fun. They didn't do stuff like that in comedies. They really went for it, and it's hilarious. You know, it's a funny bit that I... I never put this together the first time I watched it, but the idea of a super famous spy who's going through, like, Beatlemania in Swinging London is <laughs> <laughs> so stupid and paradoxical. I I, and that never occurred to me until I rewatched it last night. I'm like, so he's a famous spy. I'm like, how is that a thing? Right. Yeah, how, why would they have famous spies? The... uh the stuff they would do when they would try to switch the plot and they would have that Austin Powers doing that like laughing kind of dance thing with the dancers and stuff. I think yeah. those are really funny. They'd shoot in on the close-up of his teeth. The interstitials, yeah. yeah. 
Will Ferrell is Mustafa. We mentioned it already, but he's aged the best. And we should also just say, like, there's really no Anchorman without this movie, right? Like that kind of that kind of like Anchorman is actually S- like a, the silly a, going a really for a good, movie. but also just like the, music, the musical sequence in Anchorman where they're just like we're yeah. just gonna play the flute for five minutes. That's like basically the Burt Bacharach scene mm. in Austin Powers. Like it, there, there's a lot of uh, you know connective tissue there. Steamroller slow motion murder guy. I'm so glad you have this. This is the fucking such a home run I've ever seen. It's amazing. Such a home run. <laughs> they do the wide shot and they're still ten feet away from him. So the sequels, I think, have to be in what's age the best. And we'll I mean, talk about later when we do unanswerable questions. But just the fact that this movie spawned these two sequels that some people, including somebody who might produce this podcast, feel like we're better than the original. We'll get to that later. The five stages of defrosting has aged the best for me. <laughs> Laser cutting, warm liquid goo phase, reanimation, cleansing, and evacuation. And all the all the shots back to like Michael York and Charles Napier as they're like nodding as it's happening. <laughs> uh, bring in the fembots. The fembots are hilarious. I don't know if they're as hilarious in 2022 because people don't have the whole these boots are made for walking 1960s thing. It made more sense when you saw this in 1997 than maybe it does now, but this. The Fembots was a parody of a lot of the stuff that was going on in the 60s. I like, as you know, because you've been in meetings with me where I've tried to beat a dumb joke into the ground, the the guy loses his head and, and Austin has like the five straight jokes. It's a shame he wasn't more headstrong. And, and then finally like, all right, enough. And then they move on. And then uh, Basil's mom kills me. Oh, yeah. Punching Basil, Basil's mom in the face. <laughs> just, just Why won't this wig come off? <laughs> what other, uh, what stage of best do you have? Anything? Uh, character names, Basil Exposition, a lot of vagina, uh, random mm. task, just like great, great, great character names. Random I, task, a good one. I love the idea too of um, trying to play your cards right when you come out of cryo, when he's... Like, finally, those capitalist pigs will pay for their crimes. <laughs> hey, comrades. Hey. <laughs> yeah, capitalism, baby. <laughs> uh, what's age the worst? We mentioned the parrot in the old Bond movies. And the fembots were a little rooted in. You had to kind of remember at least a little bit what happened in the 1960s. I guess that in the wrong hands, Austin sexually harassing Vanessa could be Take it the wrong way if you're not choosing to see this as a comedy. A lot of people have pointed out though that this movie actually has aged pretty well. Like in that in that regard. In yeah. that in that specific way. Agree. Like he doesn't like and Vanessa gets drunk and he doesn't sleep with her. You know, yeah, like, I still he's also like, really laugh when uh she goes into that whole long spiel and he's like, That's great. Do you want to go in the back and shag? <laughs> <laughs> you're right to be suspicious, Vanessa. I shagged her. I shagged her rotten, baby. <laughs> Cassie Winnis <laughs> mentioned uh Jim Carrey. Rhea Perlman was in talks to play Frau Farbissina, but had scheduling conflicts. Wow. Perfect. And then uh, Colin Quinn turned down Scott Evil. Has a lot of regrets after the fact. I'm trying to... So so in my mind, Colin Quinn has never not been 51. (laughs) So it's hard for me to imagine him as like a cool young guy like Seth Green was, I guess. It's also it was also really cool. I was reading like an interview. I think it was the oral history or whatever. But Seth Green was like, yeah, I was doing a mammoth play. (laughs) <laughs> when I got the call to do this. <laughs> right. I was like, I would have loved to see that. Well, Colin Quinn, so he, one of my favorite Larry Sanders episodes, he plays Rip Torn, who was already, he plays 
Artie's son, who's like obviously this loser, kind of semi-black sheep son. And Artie's like, can we can we just get him a job? Can we hire him as an intern? And they're kind of trying to talk him out of it, but they end up hiring him. And Colin Quinn's the son. And he's an intern and he's just a complete disaster. And they're like, go get him some frozen yogurt. And he's just it's inappropriate. And I if it's that version of Colin Quinn, I think Scott Evil back, I think that would have worked. If it was the Larry Sanders uh Disaster of an intern as Scott Evil. Anyway, best that guy, aka the Joey Pants Award. This is loaded. Yeah. Loaded category this time around. Does Burt Bacharach count as a that guy? <laughs> no, he doesn't. Okay. <laughs> Fair. Just want to make sure. Charles Napier. Definitely a that guy. You might remember him from, oh, a little movie called Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. The Last Prison Guard. He's the Last Prison Guard. Ah! Does that whole thing? Little the, reminiscent of Robert Shaw. Um, he's been the judge. He's what movie was he a judge? In? He was a judge in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's in Big like ten Jonathan, Jonathan Demi movies. Yeah, yeah. Soup Nazi was the blackjack dealer. I've picked up on that for the first time watching it last night. I think he's our winner because I don't even know Soup Nazi's name. I just I don't know either. Soup what Nazi. is it? Did, did, I don't know. Did I didn't Larry remember. Tom- is it Larry Thomas? Sure. And then I think a lot of Fajina became a, that guy from this movie. Anytime I saw her or anything, I'd be like, oh my God, that's a lot of Fajina. Fabiana Udenio? Yeah. I love her from summer school. That's when I fell in love with her. Oh, the Mark mm. Harmon movie? She's yeah. been in a lot of stuff. She's yeah, a, she's, she's she dates Chainsaw in summer school. So fun. Um, the only other one I have is, uh, and he's come up a couple of times on the rewatchables, Elia Baskin, the Russian, the Russian officer. He's yeah. just the Russian officer in every single movie. Yeah. Vincent Hanna, give me all you got a word for uh, either overacting or bad acting. And unfortunately, I think this has to go to a lot of vagina. The hot tub scene, it's just, it's a bizarre scene. It's its kind of awkward and not funny. I was going to put it in what stage is the worst, but I don't even know if it's stage the worst. When like Austin's it was bad just in like the moment. farting in the hot tub. Yeah, it's, I, it just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't 100% work. She's trying to pretend she can't resist him, and it's just not a good scene. I laugh out loud though at the how dare you break wind before me and Austin says I'm sorry I didn't realize it was your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that is the one highlight. That's that's a great joke. Uh, Dion Waiters Award. Wait, we're not. There's no other overacting in Austin Powers. Well, it's a comedy. <laughs> the whole point is they yeah they're overacting left to right. Dion Waiters Award. Seth Green, Tom Arnold, Mimi Rogers, or Will Ferrell as Mustafa. Uh, I'd also throw Bigglesworth in there. Really, mm. really great. And uh, uh, Frau Farbissina. Scott! <laughs> <laughs> I uh, My vote is for Seth Green. I think he's really funny in this movie. He's I'll not in it too much? Is he? I mean, he's only in like five, six scenes. Maybe <laughs> I'm less. Going, I'm going Will Ferrell. Oh, I'm Mustafa. Yeah. I think that I th- I, I'm, I'm, I'm with CR on that. I like Will Ferrell. All right. Recasting catch. We got to get rid of Bob Wagner, right? Just throwing anybody, anybody else. Is Bob Wagner canceled? That job paid, that, that casting pays off so well though when they put Rob 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 Lowe in number two because Rob Lowe is like, he's Robert Wagner 2.0 in so many ways. So here are my two choices. Oh, go ahead, Chris. No, no, I was, I was going to also say that um, the gentleman who played uh, Random Task is also, uh, we're going to get to him. Yeah. Complicated figure. I'm going to give you Allie Larder as the lead fembot. 
Okay. It's recasting couch. This is nice where, time of her career. This is like you're this is trade machine esque for you. Yeah, put some thought <laughs> into it. Look, what actually, blonde, like, I'm thinking of a mid late mid nineties yeah. actresses who could have played Fembots. Are you sure you yeah. don't want to go? We could go Helen Mirren here if you want. <laughs> 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 they left a lot on the table not bringing Mirren into this movie. That's we needed shame. one famous Fembot, somebody that went on to become a huge star. Like like how Uma Thurman's in Johnny Be Good with Anthony Michael Hall. And it's like Uma Thurman's in this movie and Robert Downey Jr. Mm. What's going on in this movie? Um, well, it's weird that it's not it's not Pamela Anderson, right? I mean, she was she Cindy, Mar- right? Cindy Margolis was like the the B level, C level Pamela Anderson at the time, and and I guess, but she said there was. I read that she auditioned for a part, but what presumably it, it was Elizabeth Hurley's part. I mean, what part could it have been? Well, the other part could have been if Heather Graham was the lead fembot, but then that ruins Austin Powers too. So thank yeah. God that didn't happen because she's right. You don't get Felicity Shagwell then. Yeah, we don't get Felicity. My other recasting couch, uh, the guy who played the Lucky Charms guy, mm-hmm. the yeah. Irish henchman, dump him. Chris Ryan goes in. He's young. <laughs> he's still working at Newberry Comics. <laughs> Probably might be a little early, but I still feel like you could have done the accent. How would, Lucky Charms. how would Bono as Lucky Charms <laughs> talk to Austin Excuse Powers? me, Mr. President. <laughs> <laughs> we want $10 billion. It would have been great, though, if they had gotten one of like the really edgy British method actors to play Patty. Like, got Gary Oldman or Tim Roth. Yeah, David <laughs> Thewlis. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> Half-ass internet research. So Joe San played random task. He's serving a lifetime prison sentence right now for some horrible crimes. Um, and in 2017 was sentenced to an additional 27 years for murdering his cellmate. Random task. Kind of a downer. The uh, American Online on Austin's computer is version 3.0. Did you have that one? Of course. I, yeah. I've, I think I've had every version. They... Uh, they did, uh, Jay Roach, the director, said he did the AOL product placement to get a free year of service from them. It's so like they were go. giving away a free year of service with yeah, those CDs they, that, that they were sending that, for yeah, years that, and that, years. That was my interpretation as well. I feel like they had just like every issue of Inside Sports was like, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> Austin's car was a 1961 Jaguar E-Type open two-seater Series 1. Classic. Nice car. In the uh, Las Vegas bar scene when Austin's trying to figure out where he fits in the 90s and he flashes the peace sign he's being laughed at. They wanted him to be drinking a Zima and it was all locked down and then Zima somehow figured out, oh, they're making fun of us. So they had to switch it to Tab Cola. I was rewatching jokes back then. I was rewatching uh, Wayne's World this weekend ahead of this and the the product placement joke in Wayne's World is like one of the funniest things of all time. So the idea of just five years later them being like, yeah, let's do some product placement. It's so yeah. ridiculous. it's like he parodied it so hard, and he still yeah. that's how powerful money is. This is just a random, random one I found. George Harrison, the last letter he ever wrote was to Mike Myers as Austin Powers, the third one was in production, and it complimented him on the movies and asked for a mini me, me doll. And uh and Myers framed it and looks at it every day and said it's one of the most incredible things that ever happened to him. George Harrison's last letter to Mike Myers was to ask for a mini me. He told that story on the Carvey pod. Yeah. Yeah. And because and, the, the Beatles are so important to him. Apex Mountain. Mike Myers. I think it's the second one for him. So you think SNL and Wayne's World is, is, is the peak? No, I think the second movie is his oh, Apex Mountain. The second movie. Okay. That movie just crushed. 
And I think after that, the sky was the limit for Mike Myers. And I think he could have made anything. And then he ends up making the third movie and they gave him like a crazy deal. I mean, he got to the point where he, you know, could get the love girl greenlit. And that movie's an atrocity. Yeah, but when they bring you the love guru after he pulls off three Austin Powers movies, yeah, you're, you're probably you're like, I guess yes. I got a bet on this. It's yeah. Definition of Apex Mountain. I think we're underestimating Shrek here. I well, know this Shrek. leads to Shrek, right? Yeah. So I you're mean, saying it should be closer to the third movie when Shrek comes out? I mean, sh the Shrek movies have made like $2 billion at the box office. I mean, so we could are... say 0102 range then. Shrek leading into Austin Powers 3. Yeah. that Because that feels like when he was the center. You know, like that was... Kids loved him. Mm. Adults loved him as a comedian. He could get anything in the world made if he wanted to. Um, the second movie was really big. I mean, for a comedy, the second movie made $300 million and Tom Cruise was in the last scene. I mean, that's... So, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's too... I'm not sure. The case for 99 is... I think he takes... He takes the torch from Carrie right, with mm -hmm. that movie. Mm -hmm. I think he's the biggest comedy actor in the world after that movie comes out. Because Carrie is starting to get... He's making Truman Show and he's starting to see if he can be a little more dramatic and going that route. And Sandler is pretty established at that point, but people have a feel for the Sandler franchise at that point. Myers what it, feels like... For what it's worth, I went back and looked at the Austin Powers 2 notes and you guys gave Myers Apex Mountain for Austin Powers 2. Mm. We did? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. The power of notes. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> that was a long time ago when we talked about Austin Powers 2. Sean, Apex Mountain for New Line? Well, my sentimental pick is one year later for Boogie Nights. Um, right. But I don't know. I what feel do you like mean? Boogie Nights was 97. Oh, right. Okay, so six months later. 97 has yeah. to be New Line's Apex Mountain. Didn't, did New Line not do the Lord of the Rings It movies? did do the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. That's, the, that's Apex Mountain. Okay. Uh, I mean, also, like, it's kind of tough with Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, Nightmare on Elm Street built New Line. All right, so if you look at New Line's wiki... Austin Powers, May 2nd, only six weeks after Love Jones, which is a good movie. Yeah. Um, Boogie Nights, October 10, 1997. Wag the Dog, Christmas Day. Hell yeah. The Wedding Singer, February 13. And then it all falls apart with uh, Lost in Space, April 3rd. Little bounce back, Blade, Rush Hour, and Pleasantville and American History X, capping off 98. <laughs> so it's a, the apex for New Line somewhere in there, but I'm gonna I agree with Sean. I think it's Boogie Nights. It's probably six months later. They but they've paved the way. They they know they have the Austin Powers thing coming and a whole bunch of stuff. I feel like if Sean could have worked for any studio in the '90s, I think it's New Line. I they're, they're like the perfect fusion of my interests. They were like auteur centric, but they made a lot of genre movies, a lot of horror, a lot of crime movies, and then they also were like. Paul Thomas Anderson, here's money. But yeah, even the making of this movie is like that, where it's like, here's $16.5 million. We're not going to give you a dollar more, but yeah. we're and not we going to no ask notes. for any changes. No notes. Yeah. Last movie, New Line made in the 1990s, Magnolia. Hell yeah. It's dope. Ended the decade. A little like how Little Bill ended the decade of the 70s. <laughs> Going all in. You're saying Magnolia is a... Is is creative suicide or <laughs> no no it's just they went on they went for it uh apex mountain for bond parodies yes apex mount for elizabeth hurley i'm gonna say yes yeah i, think I so. agree 
Apex Mountain for that I Touch Myself song, I'm going to say yes. The, the vinyl no. song? Yeah. yeah I, think, I think it had some run elsewhere, right? Was yeah, that a number one Austin hit? Powers on for a million. It was a number one hit, but then it was a whole second life for, I don't know. I think of that song. I think of this movie. Seth Green, no. Time travel comedies. Eh. Time travel comedies. Hot Tub Time Machine. Back to the there. Future is. Yeah. The, is oh, yeah. The, yeah, Back to the Future. Bad Teeth as a comedy gag, yes. <laughs> Long movie pisses. So we did this on, we just did this on A League of Their Own. And it's this movie versus basically it's this movie and League of Their Own in the finals for long movie pisses yeah. as a comedy gag, right? It's like Duke versus Carolina of, yeah. of pissing. Is this long urination month on the rewatchables? Is it this might, like might a part, 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 part of the themes? Months? I don't know. What other long pisses yeah. are there? Prostate awareness month. <laughs> Any other uh, Apex Mountain for you guys? Um <sighs> No, because it's not feral. Like, there's a, a bunch that, like, I mean, there's a bunch of like cool character actors in this. Like, I'm, I don't think that the Frau Farbissina woman had like. This is probably Apex Mountain for her. Mindy you know? Sterling. Yeah. What but about it, Seth Green? I I had him down, but I don't think it is. I think it's a little later. What is? I think it's I, it's at least the second one because then they have what's that teen movie that he made where he's trapped in the bathroom? Can't hardly wait. Yeah. Can't hardly wait, and so I think you got to get to there. Is Can't Hardly Wait a rewatchable? Oh yeah, I think so. I feel like it I is. think it is. I really have problems with the lead guy, Ethan Embry. I think that's I think that's a classic case of just they blew it with the lead guy. He's in Empire Records too, though. I mean, like he's like eh, he's just not good staple in that movie. of those movies. All he's doing is bulging his eyes for two hours. It's a weird performance. I enjoy him. I'm a fan. Have him on the big picture. You can talk about <laughs> top five most offended. Why are been. you so defensive about this? Every, every once in a while, it'll just be like, fuck off. Why don't you take Ethan Embry to your podcast? <laughs> the I least controversial I mean, thing, <laughs> the least controversial opinion ever is I like Ethan Embry. <laughs> yeah. He's not good in that movie. This like, is, uh, we're in Diane another one. zone. Chris Klein's not good in American Pie. Uh, that one, I'm with you. I'm, I was not yeah, a fan of this. Yeah. I don't have a lot of picking nits, guys. This is a ridiculous comedy. It's yeah, what do, you, to, what do you want, right? Tough to really pick nits, but um, I had I had one that was like not a nitpick, but I was curious whether on this viewing or on more recent viewings, are there any iconic sequences or jokes that you now like don't find funny because either like you know, do I make you horny has been said ten and a half million times in a bar that you've been in over the course of your life, or like him driving the little cart back and forth doing the K-turn in the hallway. Like after you've seen that 500 times. I still think that's funny. Yeah. The one million dollars is the one that yeah. I think it just feels like really overworked. It's like now. basically what iconic joke from this franchise has now just become like you're deaf to it now. Wayne's world has the same issue, right? Yeah. Where it's just kind of like, all right, I get it. The things that are, as fun, uh, funnier in that movie are the really weird things now where like the camera follows Ed O'Neill when they're in yeah. Nikita's. You know, like that stuff is still funny, but like him going swing, you're like, okay, I, I, I get it. I know what it is. Bohemian Rhapsody is still absolutely incredible. That part's great. 
Bill, when you were when you were working, were you working in a bar in 97, 98? Like were yeah. you still yeah? Was was there a lot of do I make you horny going on in the in the pickups? Really wasn't. This movie t- was a very <laughs> slow burn. I don't okay. feel like it was till Halloween that it was even on the radar. I think that was when I was like, all right, I, there's somebody dressed as Austin Powers. All right, I'm gonna see this. Can we circle back to the waitress who got you excited about this movie? Oh yeah, what happened what, to her? What's going oh on with God. her? You friends with her on Facebook? No, just a legend. <laughs> Boston legend. I'm not even going to say her name. If I said her name, p- people would be like, oh my God. Just legend. Um, her name is, her name like, is oh not... My God. Was her name like a lot of vagina? What was her name? <laughs> it, it really could have been. Um, picking nits for me. Dr. Evil builds a cryogenic rig, uh, rocket out of a Bob's Big Boy statue that's located on the top of a hip London nightclub. Is your mm. nitpick that you haven't thought of this first? Yeah, how's your cryo rocket coming <laughs> like, along? I like <laughs> I don't know. It's just why there? It's just why why does he escape that whole like if you actually like look at that scene, it's absolutely ridiculous. It makes no sense at all. And yeah. not that a lot of this movie makes I sense. I do think but. that you're get you're you're touching on an interesting idea, which is freezing you and waking you up in 30 years and you come out and you're like, is LeBron still on the Lakers? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> LeBron's not retired yet? Yeah. That will be uh, uh, the third administration of President Rich Paul. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wish they had frozen me right before game one of the Buck Celtics series when yeah, I thought I the wondering. Celtics were going to make the finals. <laughs> You you and Marcelo spending forty minutes talking about everything. <laughs> everything about like, the Celtics Bucks series. Yeah, you're like eight minute nine of D'Angelo Russell talk before you get to the Celtics. <laughs> that did jump out to me as well, Bill. I, it's like what are they excited to talk? I had to build like, up to it. Will to this excited. be in part one? It was like <laughs> I had to get excited for it. Could this be remade as a ten episode Netflix show? No, no, no. Probably unanswerable questions. Is this the single best movie franchise from a PR standpoint? Three movies, all of them were really successful. None of them were bad. Left out on top, didn't have the last one. Added some new stuff in each one. And we just had three and that's it. And I have fond memories of all of them. What other franchise could we say that about? Uh, John I mean, Wick? Like, like, I would actually argue that no, no offense to the great John Wick, but like they are, they're making the fourth one. I think they might make a. At fifth some point, one. it's gonna. They're making spinoffs. Like at some point, it's the John Wick will tail off. Fast and Furious, even you know, Fast Two's rough. Star Wars, they did the prequels, and those are pretty polarizing these days. I'm in a zone right now where I don't. I I, I feel like it's really hard for me to imagine a bad Mission Impossible movie, even though there there have been some, but like. It, it's like this run that they're on right now. I'm pretty satisfied. But there with. were there were some ones you wouldn't want to watch yeah. again, though. Two two is pr- is pretty tough. Um, that's the rare franchise, which I think is different from this one. And maybe it's a segue to our conversation with Craig. But Mission Impossible to me, the movies are like getting better, which is yeah, bizarre. Right. It's bizarre. Like five and six were so good, and What's now the new one called Dead or four Reckoning? and five were so good. Yeah, Dead Reckoning Part that's One. Sick. Well, Fast yeah. was like that. Fast four and five, and it peaks in five. It's, it's back down, and again. then it tailed down again. Yeah, yeah. The but, Rocky franchise, I think, got there for the first four. Where if it yeah. just ends after four, I'm good. I'm I'm delighted. Only fond memories, other than Adrian's coma, which I still can't believe lasted as long as it did. But then they had to go do five, and you well, know. 
if Peter Jackson had stayed away from Lord of the Rings, he could have walked away with number three and gotten Best Picture, and that's the one of the most successful trilogies in the history that's a of good one. anything. Right. But then he comes back and does three does Hobbit movies, three Hobbit which movies, Chris and, and I saw TV together show. every year, and fucking yeah. no, they were all boring as shit. So I don't know. I mean, it's, honestly, it's a great take, Bill. I never thought of Austin Powers. For a minute, that way. it was Star Wars, and and then they did prequels and they did everything else. Yeah, it's almost like the Jim Brown leaving the NFL at age 30 at the top of his game without having like the one last season where it's like, I wish he had retired. He, he's Powers like, just never had it. He gets like high on his own supply though because Goldmember to me is the least funny of those three personally. And the love guru is him being like, you, th- you thought the Goldmember character was weird? I'm going to take it a step further. And it was too much. It was like too ridiculous. What do you guys think about this take that the, uh, the only good franchise is actually the Jaws movies? You know, culminating with Van Peebles. <laughs> well, that's the, if it was just Jaws one and two, it would be in this conversation. But yeah. Jaws three D is an absolute travesty. Four is a lot of fun though. Four is awesome. Four is the one on the island, right? Yeah, or like in the in the islands. Yeah, I'm so ready to do Jaws two. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do I it. Fucking, Let's do it for this summer when when everybody's going yeah. back to the beach. Brody, the back. last thirty five minutes of Jaws two are lights out. When when the shark takes down the helicopter, just great stuff. <laughs> Um, all right. Producer Craig, come on in. Real cold water, like to start this pod, Craig. As far as production goes, like you're you're pretty impeccable. And I have to say, great work this weekend on the NFL draft pods. They kept me yeah. company all weekend, but you really fucked up in the beginning <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> uh I'd like to say I'm sorry, first off. Uh clearly I've upset you guys. <laughs> um so Craig's take was that the franchise, the third one. Is I way like better than the first more. one. It's not way better. I'm just saying I like two and three more than one. That's it. That's my opinion. Um, and I was, I was th- during the last hour, I was trying to unpack my thoughts and I was like, why do I think that? Because clearly I feel bad after hearing your reaction. And I think this is what I, this is why I think I think that. Uh, this movie came out in 97. I was three. Uh-huh. I think I saw two and three before I saw one. Yeah. So when I went back and watched one, it just seemed slower and it didn't hit as hard to me. Like mini me, I think I saw mini me before I saw a movie that didn't have mini me. So that is why I think I was like, Oh, the Austin powers with mini me is better than the one without. Uh And that's why I, that's what I've landed on. I still love one, but I think that's why I think that. The old So I'm going to partly defend Craig here. To me, this is the comedy version of what happened with the Godfather. Where Godfather two is actually a better movie than Godfather one. Austin Powers 2 is a better movie than Austin Powers 1. Austin Powers 2 is incredible. It's just, I think, and it takes all the stuff I loved about Austin Powers 1, and it just goes up a level with all of it. Everything. And the mini But there are a lot of the same jokes are in 2 that were in 1. Yeah, but I was ready for them because Austin Powers like almost wasn't long enough. It's like 90 minutes. It just comes and goes. It's It's like 10 sketches. So I I liked I personally liked Austin Powers two more. So I get that. I didn't think Austin Powers three was as good as one. I would have it ranked two one three. What do you think, Sean? It's one two three for me. Yeah, I me mean too. just just one really is like, in order. Yeah, because one is just pure invention. It's just pure. It's like also it's the leanest of the three. It's eighty nine minutes. We didn't even mention not, that. That that's a different conversation of what's the best movie. We're talking well, about what's the most rewatchable movie. I think it's clearly two. Two has two so has many more bits. Re- really high highs, I think, but it doesn't hang together as good as one for me. I, I I know what you're saying, Craig. I do feel like the pacing is slower in one, and it's a little bit more expository. But 
I just like one. I don't know. Maybe it's just because, it, it, like you said, it's the order that we see it in. I mean, one does have maybe Rogers. It has to give, you have to give credit to the fact that it's even a conversation. What comedy out there is there where the sequel is even comparable to the original? It's a great point. It's, yeah, it's true. When are we going to get the Anchorman 2 is actually incredibly underrated? When do we get to that part of Anchorman 2? It is underrated, but not incredibly underrated. Right. I, people were so disappointed that yeah. inevitably when you go back and look at it, it's great. It's also In like... In totality, was, though, if you take like all the Anchorman, like the blooper stuff that's on YouTube and all of the stuff for Anchorman 2, I think it is like a really amazing movie. But it's... Yeah. But Anchorman 1 is like one of the most perfect things that ever happened. We still the second that, you right? heard Anchorman 2 is coming out, everybody was upset. There's a couple I'm just not ready to do yet because I feel like it will be the end of the feed. Once we move into the Anchorman Boogie Nights, there's Almost Famous. There's like a couple all-timers left. And as soon as those start going away, then that's when it's suddenly it's Craig I like, and Ben, I like ben the Solak way that... taking over the feed. I know. <laughs> well, can't it off. Ben. <laughs> ben. Ben's seen Ben's seven Terminator. <laughs> How many? Maybe seven that's movies. The scene. Every Ben's, time I do ben pop Solak culture references to Solak, he's just like, what the fuck are you talking? Although that's not but fair. That's he the did... feed. We take it a different direction. Ben Solak <laughs> learns about movies through yeah. the feed. Yeah. <laughs> The, the watchables, watchables. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's spin off. Ben Solak's like, wow, saw this movie today. The Godfather. <laughs> Amazing stuff. You guys seen E.T.? Touching film. <laughs> Chris, maybe we have Ben Solak on the reheat. It would be like a re-re-reheat. <laughs> no, but we, we have to, it should just be him and Michael Mann. <laughs> <laughs> just having a super awkward And Michael Mann is talking about like the Maoist teachings of, of Oakland like prison system in the 70s and Ben's like brother Ben's I love Googling it Googling Robert De Niro yeah <laughs> Ben's ben, like, De Niro. We're, we're being unfair Ben like when I made a joke on the draft show about I made a Breaking Bad reference Ben was like that's a Breaking Bad line so yeah he, he, he did knows Breaking stuff. Bad yeah Ben's like Robert De Niro 5'7 slow 40 yeah Twi three cone Twitch. drill not as good as it could have been but there was an incredible generational moment on the Ringer NFL draft show this weekend when Danny Kelly dropped a line from Tommy Boy and Craig and Ben no sold the shit out of it because they did not pick up on it and it, I was like this is it but they were making like cartoon references like Jimmy Neutron references yeah, it, or something right it's perfect neither of them knew the Carl Weezer stuff which really bummed That's me out I had, that was like a whole five minute segment of that podcast I didn't understand yeah um, All right, I'll disappear. So, <laughs> well, we're wrapping up. No, let's go through a couple more uh, bits from the NFL draft <laughs> third round recap. Enjoy that show. <laughs> yeah, me too. What piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie, Chris? Uh, the Swedish penis enlarger. No, like you don't already have it. Come on, CR. <laughs> Not, uh, well, you're wearing was, it right now, Chris. I was hoping <laughs> after we got bought by Spotify that the <laughs> tariffs on those things were going to get lifted. You know what's funny is the answer is clearly the penis enlarger. Because <laughs> yeah, you yeah. would think like, oh, it's the suit. It's Dr. Evil's You could use suit, it as a, Dr. Evil's cap. A it's vase, the, yeah. Yeah, it'd be such a funny thing to show to anybody. I would also want the book, though. The the, the Swedish <laughs> yeah. enlarger. Right. This is my bag, baby, yeah. But Bill, <laughs> you, you have the, the cryo chamber. You bought it. I don't own a cryo chamber. <laughs> what, what do you think? I'm like Bill Gates? <laughs> I was but do you ever I when you're in when you're in cryo are you ever like I wonder if I if what would happen if I just stayed in here for 30 years <laughs> no because you would freeze to death by about I did have I got out I did cryo this weekend and I got out and somebody immediately started giving me shit about um, my 2010 Lakers take that the Perkins 
if Perkins didn't get hurt, we would have won the title in 2010. Oh, yeah, because that starting I, five had never lost a series, right? Yeah, but my I was like, I just walked out of minus 240 and I'm getting shit for a 2010 Celtics take. I'm like, what's going on? It was pretty interesting. Cryo. That'll be that the cryo rewatchables might be another uh, feed. Um, all right, so we've done two of these. <laughs> Let's just do Boogie Night so we can get to the cryo rewatchables feed. Ben Solak in the cryo <laughs> watching Godfather for the first time, but you guys aren't allowed to do aliens. <laughs> ben, ben Solak with the watchables, right? Coming out of cryo. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I feel like we get a sponsor for that. Uh, who won the movie is clearly Mike Myers. Yeah. Yes. And that's it. That's it for the rewatchables. Um, Chris Ryan, we can hear you in the watch. Sean Fennessy, we are in big picture. You wait, can wait. hear all of us. Wait, you can also hear me on uh, The Waiting's the Hardest Part, a rewatch, 10-part rewatch with Ethan Embry that I'm doing, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> <laughs> poor Ethan. Maybe he's a fan of the pod. He's Why are you saying poor Ethan? You fucking did you it. You Ethan. Didn't like Ethan. Yeah. I didn't like him in that movie. <laughs> Did you like him in? I've liked him in other movies. I liked him in Empire Records. I liked liked him in Empire Empire Records. Yeah. Okay. You love Guar, Mark. Both. Why don't you join the band? Both Empire Records and that thing you do. I would. I would say are rewatchables. Well, it was good to see you guys as always. Okay. We'll see you on the other side with the rewatchables, produced by Craig Horback as always. (laughs) 